Hey, welcome back to the Grace House Podcast. Brian Phillips with you here today. Got a powerful episode lined up with one of my great friends and mentors and uh, somebody who's really changed my life very dramatically. We're going to talk today about understanding wrath so we can actually live upright and walk in honor. So it's a big, big complex topic. And, you know, I brought kind of uh, someone in that I know is awesome at taking us through the biblical narrative. So we're in for an amazing episode. But before we, before we get into that today, I just want to say thanks to everyone who's coming into the Grace Ops culture, culture and partnering with us. And right now, the only marketing we have in place is grassroots marketing. So we're still working on some f- fundamental foundational pieces in the Grace Ops culture. And so we really depend on people just kind of sharing the podcast, sharing uh, the website, the different pieces of our culture buying gear and, and uh, actually coming to our events uh, that we're starting to have now across the country. So if you're interested in partnering with us financially, some people are doing that as well. And it's very encouraging when that happens. Uh, you can check out the partnership at graceops.net slash partner. And then also, if you want to check out, uh, we got a big event coming up, uh, Graceops Advance in Kansas City on October 1st and 2nd at the International House of Prayer We'd love to have you there. And again, it's going to be a very powerful time of encountering the heart of God. Ryan Evan, who leads our worship and who's my partner in Grace Ops. This guy, man, at our last advance, my wife was, uh, I, I've shared this a couple of times, but I was talking to my wife afterwards and she said, how did it go? And this was the Friday night opening night. And I said, well, Ryan and the team tore the whole building down in worship. I mean, it was just amazing. Just to, It just was like heaven just came right into the room. And then you're in a room full of just filled with men. And it's a very powerful experience, and and you will encounter God. That's why we're doing the advance. We didn't call it a retreat because we want you to advance. And so um, we're uh, we're looking forward to this in Kansas City. You can learn more about it at graceops.net slash KC. We'd love to have you there if you can uh, fly into KC. Uh, let us uh, get connected with us there. All right, moving into our episode, I want to uh, introduce James Whitman. He's the president of... JC Studies, which is uh, the Center for Judaic Studies. I found JC Studies, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago now, maybe a little longer. And I be- I started to become friends with, with James as he was kind of uh, the apprentice to Dwight Pryor. And, you know, just to, stay, just to say in short, I was just a young punk back then. Uh, didn't really know what I was doing, operating in my gifts and skill sets. Uh, didn't really understand the Bible. I was an evangelist. I had 10 titles and one message, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> maybe two messages and eight titles or something like that. But uh, when God called me to plant a church, I was like, man, I don't, I don't really don't know the Bible like I ought to. Um, and I didn't feel bad about that. I was just hungry. I was just like, man, I just want to go after. So I, God led me to JC studies and Dwight Pryor and James Whitman. And, and so I go down to this group of like scholars to get smart. And actually what I found was wholeness I found Sabbath. I found um, a way more powerful, larger biblical narrative than I had ever considered. And uh, from Genesis to Revelation and just just the stuff that you guys have been producing, you're a massive resource. And I want to use everything in my, my world that God's called me to, to connect you guys to everything I'm connected to. So with that said, James Whitman, welcome to the podcast. It's, it is an honor to have you here today. Brian, my friend, pastor, brother, colleague, always a delight. Love your topic, by the way. 
Yeah, I, I kind of you would. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so we want to get yeah some of the simple goals of our of our episode today is to take the complexity of God's wrath, so that we we want to look at it. We want to look at it and kind of let it bring sobriety into our hearts. We want to be sober minded on the topic of wrath. We don't want to be passing by it too quick or even theologically checking the box. Um, Francis Chan has a new book out called Until Unity. And I just started going through it. And in his he, he just brings a challenge that really, uh, he said, we don't want to just know the Bible. We want to own, we want to possess the Bible. Hmm. He's like, we actually want to, he was, it's one thing to say we theologically know something and quickly pass by it. And, and obviously I've felt this way for many years. I mean, but it was just a really good, fresh way of hearing it when I was going through his audio book. And I thought, that's what we need on the wrath of God. We need, we need to own it. We don't want to just stuff it away. We don't want to misunderstand it as just an Old Testament thing. I mean, you know, so the simplicity of our episode is just understanding wrath so we can walk in a sober heart before God, that we could walk tender before him and understand that wrath serves a massive purpose in redemption. And when we see it, we actually can walk in great joy and give God the honor that he's worthy of and that he's due. And so really that's the goal. It's like, let's look at wrath, not ignore it. And let's extract out the power that it has. Cause if you're looking at positive and negatives, wrath would probably most likely in most people's categories go in the negative category. <laughs> yeah, and right. so James is here today to kind of help, help us navigate this topic and, and, and kind of take us on a journey together today. So James, um, I surrender this to you here for a while, let you get it started. Well, Brian, I love the fact that we're doing this in conversation because we're two are gathered in his name. There he is. And for those of you that are tuning into this podcast, you're a part, two or more. Um, we are kingdom people gathered for the purposes of um, worship and to do the good works we were prepared in advance to do. So it is a, it's a community dynamic. And it makes me think of I was in a small group just a couple nights ago and great conversation. Uh, one of the gentlemen in a very well-educated uh, um, physician said, well, you tell us because you're the pastor and you know that stuff and we don't. Mm. And I'm very challenged by that statement, Brian, because as you articulated and it gave great voice to your own witness, your own growth, your own maturity and this idea of knowing God, it is in the new covenant that we all know him. And that word there, of course, is a it's an, a word of intimacy. It's the word that's used for sexual relations between Adam and Eve. God wants to, he's, he's doing all the heavy lifting to be known. And he wants to know us. Um, so there is this ownership. There is this depth, this dimension. But it is for all believers. Um, and so at JC Studies, we, we have a couple of passions, Brian, uh, as you very well know, the first is we want every believer to start thinking like a servant leader. I like to say it like this in the kingdom, every sheep becomes a shepherd. Yeah. And we, we're, we're always on four legs before the father in a position of worship. But we're on two legs as we face the world, a position of authority, a, a royal priesthood, if you will. And that authority is for the same purpose of helping people know the one true God. So even in this discussion, and we'll get we'll dig right in, 
But I want all of us to think like servant leaders. We're in the council of the Most High. We're, we're getting his counsel. He's looking for us to re- accurately represent him um, on in, in our network and in our local settings and in our homes and our faith communities. One thing I have found, Brian, that really helps us think like a servant leader and own the text that's been given to us, even as we wrestle with it, is if you're going to think biblically, you have to think with two mm-hmm. hands. You have to be able to say on the one hand, let's give an example, God is transcendent. On the other hand, God is imminent, right? It's not a matter of which one is he. And it's not a matter of at one time he's one and one time he's the other. He is both with us and high and lifted up. And so when we begin to think through the text, we're going to come into places where we, we're not really permitted to think in just a singular linear way. Um, there, and, and let's go right to the subject. The psalmist says, so this is the understanding of Israel and Israel's chosen son, the Messiah, Jesus. Here's the understanding of Jesus in the early church. <clears throat> God is merciful and God is just. Hmm. It's a picture from the psalm that over the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, and the mercy seat, there are two seraph bending in towards the mercy seat, uh, the and, and their wings touch. Justice and mercy. Is God just? Yes, he is. Is he merciful? Yes, he is. Well, which is it? It's both at the yeah. same time. <clears throat> so to think biblically, we need to think with two hands. We need to think in terms of the way it's maturing us and the way we communicate, it's maturing others. Um We don't get to just rant in the kingdom of heaven or in the world. We're ambassadors, and that requires tact. That requires understanding, but we do all of these things in community. So, um, And then the last principle that we really, really emphasize at JC Studies is to connect the Testaments, because in Jesus's mind, they were not disconnected. Um, He said, what I see the Father do, I do. What I hear the Father say, I say. So even when it comes to the subject of wrath, in any biblical subject, we actually need to start with Jesus. We cannot improve on God's final word. Hmm. And that word is a word that's enfleshed. It's incarnated. It's lived out in our, our, right before our eyes. What that means to me, Brian, is, Most times wrath, you know, is going to be, take its cues from the Old Testament. True? Yeah. Not that it's not found in the new, but it's going to take its cues from it. In Jesus, we see the Father. Therefore, everything we see in the Old Testament is is, um, coherent with Jesus. It really is. Um, And when we see the Father act, he's in the Old Testament, he's acting like Jesus. It's just in veiled in, in ancient culture and, and mm-hmm. language we don't understand and contexts that we tend to reject. Yeah, I was kind of sitting here thinking <clears throat> that when you were doing uh, justice and mercy, um, it's kind of like a healthy parent, right? Yes. Like with your a healthy father is going to have justice when their kids are out of line and when they 
you know, when they're in times of need, they're going to, he's going to have a heart of mercy, <laughs> you know, but his justice actually is mercy, right? Oh my, and his, yeah. his mercy is just as just at those times. It's like, it's, it's hard to tell you, understand where it cuts off. And his anger is not retribution. It's restorative. Restore. Yeah. There's always a healing ointment and always it. healing sto- power. There's a, it's that way out. It's like, I'm coming to bring my wrath so that you can escape this. <laughs> and like a good parent, if he didn't say what is harmful, uh, mm-hmm. we wouldn't know. And if we didn't experience the harm attached to something harmful, we, we would be, we'd be stuck. So absolutely. And, and Brian here, here's, this goes right to the heart of the matter. I, let me, you kick the tires on this. Okay. <laughs> Anymore. I've really taken to, um, first of all, I love your parenting example. That's right out of the page of our King, you know, you being corrupt parents, how much, yeah. you know, how much good do you do? How much more the father, right? Um, so on the one hand, that parenting illustration is really powerful and it's, it's viable. On the other hand, God is holy. And if I might, just for a moment, and brothers, listen to me on this. Holiness, biblically speaking, before it gets into a category of ethics, right and wrong, moral purity, before it is in the category of what theologians call ontology, it's being it's the only way that the Holy One describes himself in, in, in a tri-stated way. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The, that's a revelation from Genesis to Revelation. What does that mean? It means he is unlike anything we can think or imagine. By way, virtue of being, he is other than hmm. This whole journey starts out in humility, and it starts out with a listening posture. Going back to your testimony, I, I'm you were honest. I don't know the word like I should. I came out of seminary. I didn't know me. I didn't know the word like I should. <laughs> I was skimming along the surface, and that's so many people's experience. But when I came to the place where I understood he's revealing himself, he must reveal himself, or I cannot understand. And the way he reveals himself is in the narrative of the Bible. He's telling his story. And so even things like anger and wrath and honor, how they work is what when we trace the steps and we see him acting. It's not so much something we can abstract like a systematic theological, you know, let's just talk about. Let's watch and see what he is like. And that rounds out the parenting analogy. Right. Because every decision he makes comes from a heart of chesed or grace, we would say in the new covenant. It comes from a heart of grace. It is meant to for the best of everybody, regardless of what people say about um, what's going on. It's behind it all is this benevolent, holy being that has the best interest of every human being at heart. Yeah. And and he's dealing with the gods of Egypt. Yes. In the council of (laughs) the unseen realms, right? Like he's, you know, as Michael Heiser would kind of put it out there, you know, there's this uh, 
and you know, wrath kind of comes into those concepts of how God deals and how he gets us, you know, every wedding I do, I, uh, I always highlight the bride and how she thought about this day, her whole life and how she, you know, thought about this dress for many months and, you know, spent a small fortune on the dress and, you know, how she came here today and spent hours and hours and even days to get ready. And I just think about that's the same passion and posture we need to have of this day. We need to be looking forward to the day and the day is now and we need to be dressed in white clothes and spotless and, you know, no wrinkles and <laughs> without yeah. blemish. And, and and like you said, God's already provided all that. But when I understand his wrath and his wrath serves a great purpose in history and even now in our current culture. Yes. And that's the hard part is a lot of everybody when, when people think that when they think of grace, and this is something I learned from you, you know, that there is law and grace and there's grace and law, you know, and, and uh, that's, that's something that's, in this day and age, <clears throat> it's harder for people to grasp and understand. So I like the idea of how when I really get in tune with like understanding the purpose of God's wrath, even the, if I could even understand it, I mean, like you said, it's beyond us, but it yeah. motivates me to under, to know him in his holiness. It, it motivates me to honor him in my life and let him heal me. Yes. You know, to let him heal my wounds and let him blot out my transgressions, you know, let him be my father. And and because if grace is really all powerful and mighty and if, if the Holy Spirit really is living in us, then we should be able to conquer anything that we come up against from from darkness. You know, now, perfect. You now, if we're trying to be perfect, that's a nice amen. Yeah. Right. But we carry pain inside of us. And so yeah. when when those pains get triggered, it's, you know, I, I'm getting complex, I guess, but, um, you no, know, when we not. get, we get triggered in these States and we need that inner healing. You know, we also, we need both, you know, we need, but it leads us to be overcomers. It leads us to be like Christ and to overcome this world. So I don't want to say amen to it so fast. Cause I did that for 20 years. And then I ran into myself and went, wait a minute. Um, it didn't work this time. Didn't work that time. <laughs> you know, I can give yeah. you a list of the times I screwed it up. Um, so I, I love the concept of what we're getting into here, grace and wrath. So I can live a life of honor. And I love the way, uh, grace ops emphasizes the training that goes with grace. So Brian, I want to do, I I do want to probe out that the psychological issue for just a moment, because, um, I think in my pastoral experience, I'm sure it's mirrored or mirrors and guys, maybe right now we look in the mirror, the typical the tendency is to think of the God of the Old Testament as an angry God. And that Jesus somehow with his death assuages God's anger. And he's now happy in the New Testament. But again, if we're thinking with two hands, we quickly recognize, well, wait a second. We just we just violated the person of the holy because the one who says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's our creed. And I have seen part of the pain that people carry around is they're conflicted in their, their psychology about God. Jesus reconciles us with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Most people are comfortable with Jesus, Right. 
but they have uh, they have a problem with the one they're reconciled to, and it's because of a mischaracterization that is placed on the Old Testament. So let me talk about that for just a moment, because that's a big statement, and I need to back it up a bit. First, let's just look at the first creation picture. Adam and Eve transgress, and they experience um, the effects of sin and the separation from God. Hmm. Now, that's an important idea. We separate ourselves from God, whether knowingly or unknowingly. And oftentimes in pulpits, it's preached that we're cursed, that God curses us. But mm. reading of the text rejects that. He didn't curse Adam and Eve. They, As a result of their sin, they couldn't stay in that state and eat from the tree of um uh, you know, the of, of life, right? So he puts them outside of the garden. He bars the gates. But the next picture is he's right there with them. He went into exile with them. Same picture with Israel. And I really want to touch on this. But when they go into exile, who's there with them in exile? Who brings them back? Who sets the stage for his presence coming? This is what God's like. So when we look at the paradigm of salvation in the New Testament, we need to realize it comes right out of the old. Exodus from Egypt is the paradigm of being saved by grace through faith. God makes the promise. It's the greatest story in the Bible. It is the greatest (laughs) story in the Bible, and it's reenacted by Jesus who dies at Passover and inaugurates a new Exodus. It It was by promise it was promised that God acted on. It was hearing their cries. It was him coming in and overthrowing evil and leading them out. That was stage one. Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't just leave them in the wilderness. He led them to his presence at Mount Sinai. They were saved by grace, Brian. Nothing they could add to it, period. Yeah. There's no legalism in the Old Testament. We are the legalists. We are the ones who try to put things between us and God so that we don't have the responsibility of walking this out. But what will happen right there at Sinai? The training part of grace was revealed. And it's exact, and the promised land was where they were headed. Same thing. Death of Jesus, resurrection, spirit filling. Now we're being trained by the spirit of grace. And even in that story, you see God using wrath and the plagues. You see him using wrath and he's dealing with the gods of Egypt like he promised he would. Yes. But even the way God's dealing with Pharaoh, <clears throat> he's trying to redeem him. Absolutely. You know, he's he's showing him, hey, you think you're the king of kings and you're actually dealing with the sovereign king of kings. And, uh, you know, he's even in that wrath put on display to Egypt, God's mercy of, he still had exit ramps where you could get out of it. You know, Pharaoh had so many chances where he could have turned, he could have done the right thing. He, he wasn't just annihilated and just killed. Like, you know, that's kind of the old Testament picture because, you know, you can take that template of the story and overlay it over the book of revelation, right? Like of what we might see, whatever, view people have a revelation, whether it's happened or happening or going to happen, but you can see that in the storyline of revelation 
that these bowls of wrath and that type of stuff is going to, it's a lot like, again, Exodus, right? It's a lot like that foundational yes. story that God gives to help us understand who he is. Absolutely. Incredibly awe-inspiring because not only to Pharaoh, but to the Egyptians. And so we read that many Egyptians came out of Egypt with the chosen people. They hooked mm. their wagon to that wagon train because they heard um, the, the one true God and realized that he wanted to show them mercy. Mm. And that's so powerfully true, Brian. And I believe, and, and, and I, want, I want to be specific, but I'm, I just feel this in me. And I think this must be for some that are listening. You mentioned that brokenness we have inside, right? I believe that the angry God distortion, which oftentimes is, um, uh, is, comes from the pulpit relentlessly week in and week out, is not from heaven. It's a worldly distortion at best. It's a demonic distortion at its worst. And here's why. When we look at anger, wrath, right? We have to kind of, those are two separate things. Anger, God gets angry in the Bible. And in that anger, he's constantly telling why, what's wrong, what people need to do. He has hopes they'll change. He sends them prophets. He sends them priests. He sends his word, anger. Wrath is when God's anger reaches a point where, all right, no more. I'm stopping this. I'm shutting it down. It does more harm it's than good. An arc. <laughs> yeah, it's an arc. It's an arc. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Now that's really important, that arc of the narrative, Brian, because if we look at the Bible, we recognize that anger is not the primary motif. Wrath is not the primary motif. As a matter of fact, the surprising thing to UCS Lewis's language is the grace of God the long-suffering, the never-ending pursuing passion whereby he just won't allow us to go our own yeah. way. He just, he, he, so my point is this. If you look at some 1,500 years of Israel's life, we collapse it in the Old Testament. And all we hear is the prophets mm. towards the end getting ready for exile, saying, look it, he's been doing all along, he's been saying, and now you, the cup of his wrath is getting full. And we see the 10 tribes go into exile, followed by the, um, the southern tribes go into exile. But again, we see God go with them. Now, here's my larger point, Brian. Um, the anger of God is meant for us when we tune into it and we see it's a holy anger yeah. and it comes from a heart of grace, then we want, then we start to say, you know what? Not I'm afraid of him being angry at me. That's not biblical fear of the Lord. We start to say, I don't want to disappoint him. Yeah. I want to walk the way he walks. I want the plan he has for my life. Now we're thinking like leaders. We're fear of grieving the spirit and losing the presence 
when the anger of God is manifest in the Old Testament, when we see these angry passages and he's up front, he tells us, I'm getting yeah. angry. Yeah. And here's what I'm getting angry at. When we see yeah. that, we, it, the, the people who care are saying, please don't withdraw your presence. David, Psalm 51, right? Yeah. Because the anger of God causes him to withdraw his presence, leaving us to our own devices. And that's frightening. And David saw that in Saul. He did. And he's like, don't, don't do that to me. <laughs> brilliant, Brian. Yeah. That's a brilliant, uh, that connection I don't think is made all the time. David saw it concretely and he said, I don't want yeah, he that. Wa- he had a front row seat to that stuff, man. And look, look at how it caused him to repent and repent of a deed he had done. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and got it and got busted. I love that part. He didn't I tell on himself. <laughs> I do too, because there's a good parent. They bust their kids. <laughs> right, dude. You know, 